This summer, school districts around the state are preparing for the possibility that when they open their doors for the start of a new school year in the fall, they'll be serving asylum seekers, many of whom have been sent north from New York City in recent weeks and months. To consider what this means for educators outside of the five boroughs, we're turning our attention to the capital region's Mahanasin Central School District, which is expecting dozens of students from families seeking asylum in America. To discuss the integration of these students and how the state is approaching this challenge, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Mahanasin Superintendent Shannon Shine. Welcome to the program, Superintendent. Hey, thanks, David. It's uh, good to be here. So as we speak on Tuesday, August 15th, how many students from families seeking asylum are you anticipating in the fall? And generally speaking, what, if anything, do you know about these students? We have pretty good numbers now because we held two uh, registration slash enrollment events last week. There are uh, 71 potential students of school age who are uh, asylum seekers at the uh, local Super 8 motel. Uh, we've now met and registered uh, 66 of those students. And uh, we have four more in progress, which would get us to 70. And then we had one student who is actually above compulsory education age, and he's decided to try to enter the workforce instead. So we're essentially right on target to enroll all willing and eligible uh, school-aged children. And what do we know about them? We know their ages. We know the languages they speak, uh, which is predominantly Spanish for about 64 students. We have uh, three who speak Chinese. One family speaks Haitian Creole. A couple students actually speak fluent English. And we know that they kind of spread out. We have around uh, low 20s in our primary school. That's grades K through 2. We have just over 20 at our elementary, which is three through five. And then we have 10, 15 uh, at our uh, middle school, six, eight, and around the same at the high school, nine through 12. And what sort of obligations, if any, do public schools have to educate student-age kids that live within their district boundaries? You have a full obligation to, to enroll and educate any students uh, within the boundaries. You know, I think what makes it a little different here is, you know, we have asylum seekers and, you know, people aren't necessarily familiar with, you know, both federal law, which is the McKinney-Vento Act for, you know, homeless students and corresponding New York state laws. But the, the gist of it is that these students qualify as homeless. So even if things, and again, I don't even know, you know, citizenry status and so forth, I, I know they're seeking asylum. I don't know where that goes in terms of being a citizen. But irrespective of that, these students are ours, just like any other students within our boundaries. Even though they uh, come with uh, more needs than, than an average student, we're here and we're going to enroll them and we're going to educate them and we're going to meet those needs. Well, is there a playbook you can turn to in a circumstance like this? Or do district leaders like yourself need to make up a response as you go because there is no adequate planning that's been laid out for something like this? We do have ENL programs, uh, which is uh, English as a new language. Uh, there's different acronyms around this. And we call our st uh, students who are English is not their first language, our L's, E-L-L-S, English language learners. So, you know, New York State has a pretty robust program for identifying, screening, and educating uh, our L's. And, you know, some districts may not have any L's. We do. Uh, this, uh, however, this influx will basically just more than double uh, our number. So the playbook is to continue doing what we're doing and to ramp up. If we were a, a district that had no uh, non-English speakers, then, yeah, we would need a playbook. And, and the state can actually supply that. 
But the part of the situation that there's not a playbook for is the volume uh, of students uh, and the lack of records and transparency. And hey, you know, this student is coming from a certain school or a certain country. It's usually dribs and drabs, not, uh, you know, not drinking from a fire hose as this is. I think it's new not just for districts like Mahanison. I think it's new for New York State, New York City, the DocGo company. While they've been in the business for around a year of, you know, asylum seekers and migrants coming into the New York City education department, they really don't have experience with shipping migrant students upstate. They have shipped uh, mainly adult males. Now we're one of the first groups to have families and school-aged children. Well, you mentioned DocGo, and I, I read in the Daily Gazette that you've had some meetings with representatives of DocGo. And for listeners who aren't familiar with them, this is a company that pivoted uh, away from medical services that they were providing during COVID-19 and has been criticized in some corners for the services they provided to asylum seekers. So what has been your interactions with DocGo? Are you happy with them? Do they seem to be taking this on seriously and seem to be up to the challenge? Our first interactions uh, weren't as uh, favorable as I would like, and it was kind of a, in terms of, you know, just basic access. You know, I know there are students within our boundaries, and we need to meet with those students and families, and, you know, we were essentially shut out completely, and it was a little bit radio silence. Now, Part of that, I have to attest to the fact that this was new for them as well. I'm used to more of a plan something and then do it, but it appears that they in New York City and maybe New York State have done the opposite approach of <laughs> let's do it and then plan it. That's outside of my comfort zone, but nonetheless, we know how to do our jobs and to do it well, and that is to take care of students and families. So yes, there was a significant hurdle at the, at the beginning getting um, access. And I also believe part of that was, you know, probably politically motivated in that, you know, I think we were somehow seen as an unfriendly and that, that was, you know, couldn't be further from the truth. And I think once we were able to establish both at the New York City level of DocGo, as well as with the local on-site managers, that, no, no, we're, we're, we're by no means the enemy. Uh, we're here to support the school-aged children and their families, and frankly, the other families that are here, you know, we're, we're here to support everybody that's, you know, in Rotterdam. So I think once we established that and proved that and they gave us access, things have been going much more smoothly. Uh, it's a little different from getting a transfer student or students from another known location because then you'd have transcripts, you'd have medical records, you'd have other educational records such as special education services, related services. We're really not getting those. So we're kind of having to build it from scratch, which we can do. I mean, occasionally we'll get a student in. I think uh, we had a Ukrainian family in last year as refugees and asylum seekers. So, you know, we can certainly handle that. We just haven't done it on a scale like this before. And we've been given kind of a very short window to do it. What has the process been like of getting the kids vaccinated so they can comply with state mandates to actually attend school? There's a slight difference for homeless students, which these are considered under state and federal law, and it's that hmm. they do have to meet the same requirements to have a physical and be fully vaccinated as other students, but their time frame is different. You know, more specifically, they're allowed to enter school without proof of vaccinations they have had or not having the required vaccinations. And then it's our obligation to come up to speed as quickly as possible We've been working with Schenectady County Manager Rory Fluman, and he is trying to coordinate 
with the families and .go to set up vaccination clinics on site. Uh, I'm told there's a possibility of that happening as early as next week. The children and the families uh, do have health care. It's through Medicaid. In our area, it would be through a hometown health, which is you know, a subsidiary of Medicaid. And for the children, it would be a Child Health Plus. So, you know, there is a mechanism for funding and for providers, but, you know, you have this language barrier, you have a transportation barrier, you have a records barrier. What I'm told is that all families have either already been signed up for health insurance or are in progress. Like, so, no, there's nobody who hasn't yet applied. And now I know the county is also trying to help facilitate matters. So I'd like to have more specifics on that but I know it's in the works. And once those records are created, we then you know, need to have them to document them for our, for our students. But it's been a little slow going. And I, and I think there's some frustration you know, in the community that there might be a different set of rules for one group of children than another, but there's a different set of needs with some students and other students. Ultimately, the same requirements are there for all. And after a quick break, we'll have more with Mahanison Central School District Superintendent, Shannon Shine. Support for Capital Press Room provided by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation. Communities across the Empire State have stories to tell. A roadside marker funded by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation can help your town or city educate the public, encourage pride of place, and promote local tourism. More about the Pomeroy Foundation's New York State Historic Marker Grant Program for 501c3 organizations, nonprofit academic institutions, and local state and federal government entities at WGPFoundation.org. For listeners just joining us, we're speaking with Shannon Shine, superintendent for the Mahanison Central School District, which is preparing to serve about six dozen students from asylum-seeking families starting this fall. During this process, what kind of guidance and or support have you received from the state, either from the state education department specifically or other state officials in Albany? Many people assume or believe that the New York State Education Department runs of all the education that happens in New York State. And while that is true to a significant extent, there's a, a very major exception, and that is the New York City Department of Education. They are a separate entity, uh, and actually they don't come under the Commissioner of Education, they fall under the mayor. Uh, so, you know, New York City has been the one, uh, their education department, and I did talk to the um, chief of staff of the New York City uh, Education Department uh, two weeks ago, uh, as well as uh, the chief of staff for the mayor's office uh, on the same call, as well as the president of DocGo and some others uh, along, along the lines, because they're trying to figure out how to do this. So the New York City Education Department you know, is like, look, if any of our kids had already registered and entered the system, then they would help with the transition. But in this case, none of these students have. So then I shift over really to the New York State Department of Education and the senior deputy commissioner, Jim Baldwin, uh, reached out to me personally, uh, provided me his cell phone. Um, and I knew him years ago. We took a class together. So, you know, I know he's got a hard job to do, but he basically uh, provided resources, uh, the, the most important being the local uh, Arburn Regional Bilingual Education Network. But they help, uh, especially with professional development for ENL teachers and other teachers who are working with ELs. Um, if I were a district or served a district that had no ENL uh, program in place, those resources would be vital. As it is, we already know what we're doing. We're, we're going to lean on them for some professional development. 
We're talking about what about teachers who uh, do not have as much experience working with uh, English language learners and what PD can we get for them? So Arburn and the state education department have been very helpful in making sure we have that available. And they can also provide us with a great deal of guidance and specifics and connections. But in this case, uh, for Mahanasin, th those aren't as valuable to us specifically, but we definitely appreciate the state uh, providing that and reaching out with that support. Is there any freedom you might need from existing regulations or having certain regulations relaxed by the state in, in order to serve this new student body population? Uh, yes. And uh, I believe that uh, the governor even alluded to that in a, in a recent statement she made uh, and, the, and the commissioner of education. And so there are some, some regulations involved. And, and I'm told that, uh, you know, whether it's the number of hours uh, that you service and who the service providers are for our English language learners, you know, they're signaling to us that they know that this is an extraordinary situation. And so, you know, as I've told my team, I don't expect the state to come swooping in uh, right after we've received an influx of uh, asylum-seeking students and, uh, you know, hold us to every aspect of regulation and letter of the law. I think over time they'll expect us to come into full compliance. But, you know, what I take it is there's a signal of, hey, if you're acting in good faith and doing the very best you can and then gradually coming into compliance, that uh, that we have their support. In the spring, you're district adopted a budget with the expectations about having a certain number of students and providing uh, certain services. That's obviously changing now. So what does that mean for your finances during the upcoming school year? Will you have uh, enough money to accommodate these students? Will you need to get some sort of relief from the state during this school year? Uh, actually, the answer to both of those is yes. In the short term, we will have enough money. Uh, you know, we always budget conservatively. We're very transparent about it. School districts aren't allowed to spend a dime more than they budgeted. So, uh, you know, any district worth its salt will make sure that they allocate an appropriated fund balance that if unused, they'll roll into the next year, you know, to defray the cost of that budget for the taxpayers. But it's, I think of it as the simplistic way to say it is it's overdraft protection in your checking account um, or it's a buffer uh, in your budget is another way to say it. So, you know, I do know that there'll be unexpected things. Uh, they're not usually of this magnitude, uh, but we are prepared in the short term. In the long term, no, we're not uh, prepared to, to incur recurring expenses such as teachers, teaching assistants, um, you know, interpreters, uh, related service providers uh, and so on. Uh, you know, mental health support, social work. But I, I know there are some funding mechanisms such as foundation aid uh, on the state level and Title III funds on the federal level, which will give some level of uh, reimbursement after the fact, meaning it will lag a year. Um, the question, and I've been getting it a lot, including from the uh, Board of Education last night, is will those funds be sufficient uh, to make us whole? And then what about the short term? I know some of our local legislators, such as uh, Angelo Santa Barbara, uh, Jim Tedisco, uh, the Cap Region uh, BOCES Superintendent Lauren Gemmel, they have been advocating uh, with the state to free up funds in a more timely manner because it's such a heavy lift in such a short period of time, fiscally speaking. But they've also been gearing up to, to ensure that those longer term funding streams are there. Uh, the answer I don't yet have for uh, my board or community of the taxpayers is 
will the amount of funding be sufficient? I'm, I'm less worried at Mahanasin about the timeliness. I'm more worried about the sufficiency and that's yet TBD, uh, but I do know there will be some level of reimbursement that the remaining question is, uh, how closely will it correspond to the actual expenses or will it fully cover them or not? Well, what about just having the personnel to spend additional money on? Do you anticipate you'll have any trouble hiring additional English language teachers or any other staff you might need? Uh, yes, uh, I was worried. Uh, and again, as soon as this started to evolve, I put it. In, I uh, had an anticipated vacancy posted uh, for an ENL teacher. Actually, two of them. Um, since then, we have had applicants uh, who, on paper, look good. Uh, we're going to be doing some interviewing next week. Uh, but again, the candidate pool was not deep, and I was worried it might not be there at all. And of course, statewide, if this uh, influx continues upstate. Um, other districts are maybe even in a worse position than Mahanasin because uh, the very few ENL teachers who are there and, and uh, highly qualified will be scooped up. Um, the other thing, uh, we have a perennial shortage of teaching assistants. Uh, and in this case, we'd actually like to hire a couple teaching assistants that uh, speak Spanish, as that's our primary language uh, spoken by the asylum seeking students. Um, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that or not. Uh, I may end up uh, switching teaching assistants from other programs. And, you know, yet I don't want to take any services from uh, current students. That's that's an obligation that, that we have that I need to maintain. So, yeah, it's going to be difficult. Could you end up leaning on, say, your existing Spanish teachers to help out above and beyond what they normally might do? Absolutely. I mean, on our, our registration events, we had volunteers, including local teachers, uh, the New York State United Teachers Association, uh, Union, NYSET, had put out a call for ENL teachers from the region to come volunteer here to help administer the English uh, assessment, the NICETEL. People came in droves. We had people there to interpret. Uh, and we, yeah, we had our own Spanish teacher, uh, Mrs. Mendez. Uh, really, people, we have one of our social workers, Liz Hainsworth. Uh, you know, I'm hesitant to name everybody because I'm no one to forget people, but right. put, put succinctly, our teachers and uh, community area teachers showed up in droves and really showed the New York State teacher spirit. Well, based on your experience serving homeless youth in the Mahanasin Central School District, what are some of the additional services that these kids might be needing? Well, again, it ranges the gamut. We could have students who need uh, individualized education plans, meaning they're identified as a student with a disability and they'll need that IEP. We might have students who have a, a 504 plan uh, for different needs. We could have students who need occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech services. Um, we could have a, a great deal of academic intervention services for remediation, because uh, some of these students also went through COVID in their home countries. So their chronological age says they're in a certain grade, but their academic age is below that. Uh, and while we do try to group people very close to their aged peers, you know, that doesn't mean that there won't be significant academic gaps and remediation uh, to occur. And meanwhile, uh, as an aside, hey, they'll be learning English for the first time. So, uh, yeah, the, the challenges and, and resources that are going to be needed are significant. And we have most of those resources here, but we have to scale up in some uh, instances, and that means hiring. Or in some cases, you can actually 
um, pay people to take on more than a, a full course load. Um, you know, the simplest way to say it is if you're a teacher and you have a prep period and that's your time, uh, the district might be able to pay you additional funds to uh, provide services during you know, your free time. So we might even be able to hire some of our own staff to provide additional services in addition to finding, um, you know, full-time and part-time folks from the, from the outside. Is there anything that you hope your American students at Mahanison can take away from this experience that's going on right now, as well as the upcoming school year? I mean, what an opportunity to interface with uh, people who are um, have had very different life experiences and cultural experiences than than you. So if you're a, a current student and you grew up in Rotterdam, for example, you know, how about uh, interfacing with and uh, maybe becoming friends with a student from Venezuela uh, or uh, a Chinese student? Um, you know, again, the, the possibilities are endless. You know, everybody comes with their story, with their histories. And in this case, there's some pretty uh, traumatic experiences and travels and, you know, ouster from a country or a departure from a country. You know, it's, uh, you know, it remains to be seen what those stories are. And our Rotterdam students have stories of their own. So together, I think we can complement one another uh, and share our experiences and we all become enriched by it. So I hope there's a, a community, a welcoming community. I know there's politics on this, on the immigration issue and asylum seekers and migrants, and whether it's, you know, the Southern border or New York City, you know, those are a little bit outside my purview. My purview is to take care of uh, and educate and serve uh, students who are local to us as these students and families are. Um, so again, we're gonna serve all the families, the ones we currently serve and the ones we're about to serve for the first time. I'm hoping that you know there's an acceptance uh, and there's a, you know a hand of friendship. Uh, you know the way I you know I, I sit in my office and on the wall um, I have some Norman Rockwells and one of them has you know the words "Do unto others as you would have them do unto you," and it's not there just to be words on a wall. It's there to remind me that uh, you know we're here to serve, uh, we're here to be compassionate, we're here to educate, and we're in this together. So it's not those people it's our people well finally it sounds like you're hoping for the best but it, it seems likely that some of the politics that are occurring outside of the school doors may permeate through into the everyday life of these students so how do you brace for that or how do you tamp down some of the fiery rhetoric that might happen outside of the school and might pop up in a school? One of the best ways is just to do a great job here on the school front and make that our focus on, you know, on children and teaching and learning and, you know, good social environments. So within the bounds of the school district and our buildings, you know, this is something that is within uh, my ability to control and direct, you know, in the community, it becomes harder. You know, I, I don't engage in social media. Uh, you know, I, I suppose there's some good there, but there's also a lot of negativity and, you know, things that aren't really that productive. So, you know, I, I do receive uh, inquiries or complaints and, you know, I, I take them as it is. So if somebody's worried about immunizations, I explain that, you know, yeah, they, all students will come up to, you know, full immunizations. These students having a, a different and challenging background have uh, under law a different uh, time frame to get that done and they can be enrolled. Um, you know, if it's uh, some, somebody needs food, clothing, um, hygiene items, other supplies, 
we already supply that for many students. We're almost at half half of our students living in poverty as it is. So it's no different. Uh, you know, we will we will serve. We will try to not engage in uh, politics or or any rhetoric. You know, and again, we we uh, partner with community partners such as some of the local churches. Uh, this is and the county. And what we want to know is how can we be part of a productive solution? So. You know, for example, I know that some of the family members, the adults, they want jobs. I don't really know the politics around that process, but I do know that when they have eligibility to work, if they need a host site to come meet with potential employers or have a job fair, hey, I bet we could help with that. It's not a you know core responsibility of mine, but it is something that we can offer as a value added that we would actually offer to any of our families that had a specific need like that. So. Some of the possibilities, uh, you know, are still yet to be determined, but, you know, we're ready and, you know, we're going to really do our best to stay out of the politics. Schools are not meant to be political places. You know, we serve, you know, students and families from all ends of the political spectrum. And I think people know that. So as long as they see us staying, you know, center line and not taking controversial positions in either direction, I think uh, they'll support us from, from, from all ends. Well, we've been speaking with Shannon Shine. He is the superintendent for the Mahanison Central School District. Superintendent Shine, thank you so much for making the time and good luck with the upcoming school year. Thanks a lot, David. Have a great day, sir. business agency or service interested in delivering your message to more than two dozen radio stations statewide carrying Capital Press Room? If so, visit capitalpressroom.org to contact our underwriting team.